Good morning. We were blessed this morning by a wonderful minute for mission in which we were reminded of that important prayer. Thank you, God, for this amazing day you have given to me. And then Dee reminded us in the Word with the Wise this morning to put on our listening ears. And those were the two main points of my sermon. I brought a longer version, so let us pray. O Lord, in the midst of the mysteries of your word, open our hearts and minds to what you have to say and remind us to listen for what you are saying to us and to never forget your good word to us that you have blessed us with this day. And so enlighten us with your word this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Happy Memorial Day to all of you. I hope you have got a good celebration planned for this weekend and observances of this important holiday. If you're in church today, chances are that you are committed to your faith. Because today is a day when a lot of people choose to sleep in or take the day off from church. And my guess is that those Christmas and Easter Christians are not considering adding Memorial Day to their rotation anytime soon. No, people who show up at church on days like Memorial Day are committed, or at least they are giving it some serious thought. And when you think about it, Memorial Day, the holiday itself, is in many ways the same when you think about commitment. For many people, Memorial Day is simply about grilling out and maybe going to the pool for the first time. But if you have lost a loved one who was willing to die in service to their country, this weekend is about much more than that. It is about a significant observance. It is about remembering someone who made a serious commitment. So today seemed like a good day to talk about commitment. And I'm going to do that by sharing with you this story that Jack read about the Holy Spirit. It's something that I've noticed. Many Christians, particularly of the Presbyterian variety, don't quite know what to think about the Holy Spirit. I can see why. Jesus is easier to wrap your mind around. A human being who had a body and walked on the earth like we do, taught lessons, lived by example. God is harder to wrap your mind around. God doesn't have a human body, but the essential concept of God, that God creates the world and rules over it, this is in at least some respects, familiar. We all have experience with people who create things and who take care of them. The Holy Spirit 
Holy Spirit is another matter. Pentecostal Christians or people who talk about speaking in tongues or handling snakes as a part of their worship, these people are comfortable talking about the Holy Spirit, but many of us are not so sure. And this is a challenge worth talking about because in the story Jack read this morning, Jesus the one who is the easiest for us to understand, Jesus tells us that when his earthly life is over, the activity of the Holy Spirit is what allows us to come to know God. And working under the assumption that you committed people are here because you would like to know God more, we'd better talk about the Holy Spirit. Today's reading is part of the introduction to the book of Acts. Acts is the book in the New Testament that tells the story of the church after the life of Jesus. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they tell the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And then the author of Acts steps in and writes about what happens next. So in this first chapter of Acts, the disciples are living in the short period of days following Easter when the risen Jesus is walking around the earth. The disciples, who just recently witnessed the death of Jesus, their Messiah, the disciples had fallen into hopelessness, thinking that the salvation they found in the life of Jesus, that, that had gone away. But now he has been resurrected and their hope is restored. And out of this renewed sense of hope and courage, one of them comes to Jesus and asks the question that begins the lesson today. Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? It's a funny-sounding question to our modern ears. Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? For the disciples, though, this was a practical question. It was about their future and their everyday well-being. They want to know who is going to be in charge of the world now. Many of you probably remember that each year in Advent, in the weeks before Christmas, we talk about all of the expectations that the Jewish people had about the coming Messiah. They're written in the books of the prophets. They believed that the Messiah would lead them in the face of their enemies and reign as a king in Israel. Well, now it is 33 years later, and this is a return to that same conversation. Following the birth and the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Jewish were the, the, the things are still largely the same in Jerusalem. The Romans run the government. The Jewish authorities hold their positions at the pleasure of the Romans, and the Jews live as an occupied people in their homeland. Throughout Jesus' ministry, they hoped that he would lead them out of this occupation, and then he died, and hope seemed lost. 
And now he's back again. And so the people who have been following Jesus, they want to know when it will end. When they will see this transformation they have been waiting for. And so they ask him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? You may also remember from those Messiah texts we read before Christmas time that in Jesus the people do not get what they were asking for. They get what they need, but they do not get what they were asking for. Many of them wanted a military leader to stage a coup and topple their Roman occupiers. Jesus does a number of things to challenge the authority of the Romans, but he does it in other ways. On Palm Sunday, he rides triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey and mocks the military power of the Romans, reminding people that those earthly things will pass away. He leads by serving and healing, reconciling people to to one another rather than trying to defeat them. He overturns the tables of the money changers in the temple, reminding people that not wealth, but generosity is what will lead to salvation. He cares about justice and mercy for the oppressed. He gives the people something they can count on that will outlast the Roman Empire. And in doing all these things, his way of life suggests that the Romans are irrelevant. But he never gathers an army and opposes them by force. In his earthly life, people are given what they need by Jesus, but he does not give the people what they are asking for. And in today's story from the book of Acts, the same pattern continues. Jesus, hearing their question, offers this answer to them. It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, stop waiting for me to topple the Roman Empire, Jesus says. You yourselves are going to receive power and it is on you to continue the work that I began. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is rather disappointing news to the disciples who hoped that Jesus was going to take care of everything for them. And then to add insult to injury, he says these things and then he leaves. The text says that when Jesus had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? 
What are you looking at? They ask. What are you waiting for? These angels ask the disciples. Jesus said you will receive power. Get to work. What is interesting is how they get to work. The text says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, all were consistently devoting themselves to prayer. Together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. They go back to the upper room in Jerusalem, the place where they had the last supper with Jesus. And before getting to work, they devote themselves to an intense period of prayer. The disciples, who are notoriously bad throughout the Gospels at understanding what Jesus is about. The disciples, who have recently made a mistake again by asking him if he is going to topple the Roman Empire. At this point, they finally seem to be doing something right. Before striking out to continue the work of Jesus, they take some time to pray and listen. They slow down and they ask if they really understand what kind of work they're supposed to do. They pray and listen and they wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. My guess is that some of you are suspicious of this whole story. For you are not sure what it means that the Holy Spirit speaks and gives power to the disciples. My guess is that you are suspicious of this because you may be similarly suspicious about the resurrection of Jesus, the idea that he got up from the dead and walked around. You're not sure what you think about that. Similarly, many of you may be skeptical of his miraculous ascension into heaven and the accompanying idea that his, upon his departure... He left the Holy Spirit to give these people power. All of it seems so miraculous. And it is my hunch that you doubt these things because you look around in your own life and in our world and you do not perceive that God is doing these things. God does not seem to be active and speaking in the world the same way as it happened in these stories in the Bible. So you are skeptical. And you have good reason to be. 
But I'd like for you to consider this morning that perhaps we are asking the wrong question. Perhaps the problem is not that the Holy Spirit is no longer speaking in the world, but rather that we are not so good at listening. Perhaps, as this story advises, we should take some time, as the disciples did, and listen for what the Holy Spirit is saying. Let me share with you some examples. Consider, for example, what is going on when you are again working in your home, doing your job late at night, and your child wakes you up and comes in, wants to sit on your lap and spend time with you. Is this an annoying disturbance? Or is it the Holy Spirit asking you a question about your ambition and your need to make more money and your priorities. Consider, for example, what's going on when you're in church and we make these announcements week after week about the Interfaith Hospitality Network and mission trips to West Virginia and Third Church Ministries in East Westwood. Is this just another thing that you don't have time to do? Or is it the Holy Spirit reminding you that Cincinnati has one of the highest poverty rates in our country, especially among our children? Could it be that the Holy Spirit is asking if you have given anything of yourself to try to change that? Because you and your children have more than you need. Consider yet another example. What about when you read the news and you hear stories about Syria embroiled in civil war for the last eight years? Or South Sudan, where there are single refugee camps, where there are hundreds of thousands of people living, who God loves every much, every bit as much as God loves you. Is that just sad news? Or might it be the work of the Holy Spirit, your access to this information? Might it be the Holy Spirit asking you what you are going to do with the deeply blessed life that you have? A life of such comfort and safety here in one of the world's most affluent neighborhoods. What did we do to be born into such good fortune? What did God put you here to do about it? These are unsettling questions. They're unsettling to me. If you were looking for a word this morning about how God is going to solve it all for you, you may, like the disciples, be frustrated that you are not getting the answer you came to church looking for. You may be disappointed with the message the angels gave to the disciples. Why do you stand looking toward heaven? 
Well, that's what happens when you show up on the Sunday when the committed people are here. But there is a piece of good news here, and one that we too often neglect. As Jesus says to the disciples, so it is true for us, you have received power. Do you hear that? You have received power. The people who sit in this room enjoy a greater degree of fearlessness, autonomy, and freedom than most of the rest of our city and certainly more than the rest of the world. For reasons that we cannot explain and do not deserve, God has freed us to live and love and serve others. If it seems like God has not been speaking lately or that the Holy Spirit does not act anymore, perhaps it is because we have not been listening. And so I say to you, committed people of God, what is it that you are going to do? On this Memorial Day weekend, when we celebrate people who were committed, who were willing to give their very lives for something that they believed in, what are you going to do about what you believe? And I say it because we are people who have been given power. God is not yet done speaking in this world, and God is not yet done with you.